DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to bring in Matt Marshall, National College Football Writer for the Orlando Sentinel. He covers UCF as well. UCF and BYU getting ready to meet in the Boca Raton Bowl. Matt, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good. You're right there watching UCF, and we all became aware of them as they put together uh, – what was it, a 25-game win streak, and it was an awesome run. And they're still pretty good. They're 6-3. and three. Uh, But when I look at their scores, and I'm not watching them you know, that close, but when I look at their scores, they give up 34 points or more five times, and yet the offense is just putting up 44 points, 51 points, 49 points. Is the offense really that good? Is the defense really that bad? Well, the offense is really that good. I can I can attest to that. I mean, listen, this is a team that has done at least the last three or four years has really been outstanding when it comes to this fast-paced, explosive offense. They like to take advantage of big plays. They're not, you know, afraid to take the ball deep down the field. Um, they, you know, have talented skill position players at wide receiver. You know, talented running backs. They love to mix things up offensively. Um, they're a team that like you know averages over you know more than forty points a game over the last you know, a couple seasons, and, and you know, they, they like to do that, and they like to take advantage of that. I think the defense at times has had issues, you know, definitely uh, in the last couple seasons playing on some explosive teams. Uh, some of that could be for the, the fact that because UCF's offense is so explosive, they're on the field a lot more than they're probably most uh, defenses are, are on as well. And so this team has had, has had trouble at times, especially in the second half of games, particularly this year, and I think that's something that something they've been trying to work on and focus on over the last couple of weeks. Marlon Robinson and Jalen, or Myron Williams, I should say, and Jalen Robinson, two big-time, at least statistically, receivers. They're not necessarily that big physically, but they are a dangerous combo. I would assume you think BYU is going to have their hands full with them. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, you know, when, when you look at UCF, you know, Jalen Robinson, for one, is kind of a guy who was a transfer from Oklahoma a guy that, you know, we really weren't sure what he was going to be like this year and has really came on to be an explosive type player. He's, he's a big, big play player, averages more than 18 yards a carry, um, definitely putting together a, a stellar season. Now, Marlon Williams will be playing in this game. He, he's opted out. He's decided to go to the NFL. Um, he had a great season, 71 catches, full of 1,000 yards. He was kind of their go-to guy. He stepped in and replaced Gabe Davis. He ended up going to the NFL and playing for the Buffalo Bills. So they had a... a explosive, you know, one-two punch. But this team is, is lined up at receiver. I mean, you've got Robinson, you got Jacob Harris, Trey Nixon, who was hurt for most of the year. Uh, he's coming back. Um, this group is, is really, you know, talented, tall, lengthy type guys, guys that are willing to, to take advantage of secondaries. Um, and I, I think they're, they're, they continue to add these kind of players, and I think it's going to be something that will be fun to watch over the next couple of years. So is Jacob Harris the guy to watch then? His stats, you know, on 26 catches, he's just catching two or three balls a game. But then you see it's 18 yards a catch, and he's got seven touchdowns off his 26 catches. So he's obviously really good in the red zone. Yeah, he's really good. He's a tall guy, too. Here's a guy, by the way, who didn't really – he played a little football, but then wanted to play soccer and played soccer for a while and, and finally made the switch back to football. So he's kind of been late in life, kind of got back into this football thing, and he's really taken advantage of his size. He was outstanding in their final game against USF. He had three touchdown catches. I think another guy to watch is definitely Ryan O'Keefe. Ryan O'Keefe's one of the faster guys on this team. He's a Texas product. Uh, he you know, He's a guy that they love to take advantage of. And Nixon, like I mentioned, who was – you know, really was outstanding last year. Um, you know, he was hurt. He, he uh, had dislocated collarbone in the opener against Georgia Tech. He's been back over the last couple of weeks. 
I expect him to pick up a bigger role as well. And it's not to mention just these guys. They've also got a, a good tight end in Jake Hescott and a couple of running backs that they like to use. So there's so many weapons for Dylan Gabriel at quarterback to take advantage of. That's why the offense is went as smoothly as it has. Tell us about Gabriel. We understand he's from the islands, and people from the islands don't like BYU. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. It's, it's, we, we, I got a chance to talk with uh, with Dylan's family. Uh, you know, uh, Garrett Gabriel, if you recall, was a, a quarterback at Hawaii uh, years ago and, and played against BYU several times. And when Dylan was growing up, you know, they would put on these videotapes, you know, of, of his dad's performances against BYU. And, you know, I think that's where he learned to kind of have that kind of sort of rivalry look towards BYU. So when it was announced that they were going to, that UCF was going to end up facing BYU this week, um, you know, I think Dylan kind of laughed because, you know, he knew this is kind of something they've been talking about for years, you know, never thought he'd have an opportunity, but, but here he is now. And, uh, you know, Dylan's had an outstanding first two seasons here at UCF. I mean, he took over the starting job basically uh, in game two last year, and he's really been explosive. He's really kind of developed into this offense. Uh, this year he's been able to, to, to utilize, uh, like I mentioned, all these skilled position players. He's got great touch. Um, you know, he can scramble out of the pocket. He's starting to use his legs a lot more than he did maybe the first half of last season. Um, he's able to provide them with much more experience, you know, in the pocket. Um, and I think some of that, too, also comes from the fact that he's been, you know, his best friend is Mackenzie Milton, you know. And Mackenzie Milton, you know, kind of helped groom him over the last couple of years while he was dealing with his own injury rehab. So I think all in all, that's helped Dylan kind of develop into an outstanding quarterback. You mentioned the running backs in passing, Greg McRae, Otis Anser, Otis Anderson, and Bentavious Thompson. None of them have 700 yards rushing, but they all have at least 300 yards rushing. The thing that caught my eye is they're all over five yards per carry, and they kind of split up 18 touchdowns among them. This, is, uh, this is, seems like classic running back by committee. Are they all healthy? Are they all opting into the game? Do they actually have all three guys at their disposal? Yeah, as far as we know, yeah, they're all opting. We asked Josh Heifel the other day if anyone was going to opt out, and he, he said that at this point, you know, it looked like they'd be up full speed to go. Yeah, this is an, a, a great running back you know, group. You know, this is I think what helps them a lot is this is a group that because of the fact that UCF likes to push the ball, likes to go uh, deep, you know, I think that kind of opens up the middle and allows the, the running back to take advantage of the situation. Greg McRae is really only two years removed from having a 1,000-yard season. Otis Anderson – uh, was, uh, for a while there, was used as a slot you know, receiver at times. Contavious Thompson is a big back, a guy they kind of use to grind out things. Like you mentioned, these guys all can, can take advantage of the thing. And what's amazing is most people think UCF's offense is just throwing the football, but they really do like to run the football. They average over 200 yards a game. Um, you know, They really enjoy using that running game to kind of mix things up a little bit as well. They've got lots of speed in that, in that backfield as well. They've got a couple of younger guys in Johnny Richardson and Denarius Gibbs goes super fast as well. And I think, again, that's what Josh Heupel and his staff have done, is they continue to recruit these speedsters, and they continue to add them into this offense. It's been really starting to pay off when you look at the scoreboard. So reading up on uh, UCF, defensive line coach Shane Berman says uh, calls Zach Wilson as good a quarterback as they've seen this year. And they face some good ones, probably uh, Cincinnati's and then Memphis's White comes to mind. And those guys had success against UCF. So what can I assume that BYU is going to have a fair amount of success moving the ball? Well, I, I, yeah, I think what's going to happen is, you know, for, for UCF defensively, what they have to do and what, where they found their success on defense is they've got to be aggressive up front. They've got to be able to get pressure on the quarterback. When they've been able to get pressure on the quarterback and kind of take them out of the rhythm, 
then that's where they've had their success. We've seen that even in the Cincinnati loss, you know, early on in the first half, they were able to get to, you know, to, uh, to Ritter to kind of make him uncomfortable. They slowed down the running game. They kind of got everyone, you know, really kind of out of their offensive set. Where they struggle is when they can't get that pressure, when, when, they can, when quarterbacks can take advantage, if the pocket starts to break down, if they can run out of the pocket, if they can make things happen with their legs. That's when all of a sudden where they struggle a little bit. Let's not forget UCF has two freshmen, two freshmen playing at cornerback this season, um, and, and Corey Thornton. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that's a guy that, you know, teams have tried to take advantage of because he's a true freshman. They've had to go with some younger guys at different spots. They had 10 guys opt out before the season started because of the COVID situation. They lost uh, a couple starters, four starters, because of some off-the-field issues back in October. Um, so there's a lot of younger guys that have had to kind of step in and take on some roles and kind of grow as, as the season has gone on. So I think in, in regards, that's why some of the issues have happened defensively because, again, you're getting freshmen and sophomores, guys who maybe didn't get a lot of snaps for the last season or so, getting opportunities to play, and they're just really trying to grow into that role. And I think that's what is the, the challenge is going to be with, with a guy like Wilson is making sure he doesn't get too much out of the pocket and take advantage of things. Matt Michelle joining us, National College Football Writer for the Orlando Sentinel, covers UCF as well. I'm curious, uh, you know, the reputation is UCF has a ton of speed. Does that translate into big plays on special teams and big returns? You know, they, used to, they have in the past. You know, last this past season, not so much so. I think you know, we haven't had opportunities to see that kind of – to go up there and see that speed. Otis Anderson, as I mentioned, who was not only the running back and, and, and you know, slot receiver – also played a little bit, you know, at kick returns. Johnny Richardson, who I mentioned, also is on kick returns. We haven't seen those opportunities to have those kind of big play, uh, you know, uh, special teams with kickoff returns. Um, I know they've been itching to do so because, you know, they, again, they've had that speed. Um, a lot of teams learn quickly not to maybe kick to some of these guys or at least give them opportunities to do that. Um, and I think, too, you know, when you're up big, you know, uh, in some of these games, they just haven't taken advantage of the opportunities. So um, I think they would love to have that shot. But again, this team is so loaded with speed, they try to put those guys out there in those special team situations. Do you think the AAC would be interested in having BYU join? Yeah, that's a good question. I think at some point, because of the situation, you know, because of losing UConn, um, I think that the talk of that, you know, I, I, when I wrote a couple, you know, a year ago uh, when UConn left, that, you know, this would be an opportunity maybe to get a team like BYU. But bringing them in there, I think it would obviously bring a lot of national cachet. Um, something the American has been trying to do. Uh, you know, they're, when you look at college football right now, the AAC is, is clearly the best, you know, of the group of five schools. And they want to be, you know, included in that kind of power five discussion. Uh, so if you add a, a school like BYU, you might be able to do that. And especially what BYU has been able to do with this, you know, with football program uh, historically has done well. I, I think that would be a huge addition to them. Now, I'm not sure at some point I know Michael Resco, the commissioner of the American, has mentioned, you know, they've, they've had little they've had talks here or there. I'm not sure what route he wants to go. I mean, I think BYU is definitely going to be on that list if I was making some phone calls. Um, I know Boise State was there at one point as, as well, but um, it would be interesting. And I think if you think about, you know, the, the teams that are playing now, you think about the Cincinnati and the Memphis and the UCF. Um, I, I think it would be a huge addition to bring an, another brand name like BYU in there as well. And, and I'm, I'm sure, even in a way, BYU would be interested in that just with the, with the national exposure and the tie-ins that, that the, the conference is starting to develop over the last couple of years. 
All of this sounds good, but if we step back and I just let my cynical brain wander, I think they're more likely to freeze out one of the Power Five, maybe not push them out, but at least freeze them out the way they kind of joke about the Pac-12 now than they are to let another league in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't – I mean, listen, I think it's a great idea, and I understand why the American does what it's trying to do. You know, they want to be included in that discussion. Um, I, I'm not sure if the, if the Power Five is, is ready to make that move. You know, I think there's been a lot of discussion, especially based on what's happened this year economically with the pandemic, that, you know, that the Power Five conferences are more likely to, to form their own, you know, to split away and form their own governance you know, body, you know I mean, and, and deal with their own situation. Now, if that would happen, maybe they would reach out and add a couple schools here or there, but I'm not sure they're going to add a, a, another lead to that mix. Again, when we get back down to it, it's all about money. And, and you know, you, you, you grab another league, you're going to have to find a way to split the money or, or find a way to make more money to, to make it evenly. And I'm just not sure if these conferences are ready to do that right now. So um, it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough place to be in if you're the American because you are playing really well. You're doing the things you're supposed to be doing. You're, you're adding big games. You're trying to continue and do all the things and provide the things that the Power Five conferences are providing to their schools. But eventually at some point you're not getting paid the same money. And that's where I think they're, they're struggling at times and some of their schools are trying to keep up with everyone. What's your evaluation of the four that got in? You know, I, I, I hate to say this. I, I thought that was probably where it was going to happen. Um, you know, I think the biggest knock was going to be Ohio State. You know, did Ohio State deserve to be in? You know, I think the committee proved right off early on that they thought Ohio, very highly of Ohio State and, and based on what they were able to do this season. Now, is that fair? Is it fair to a Cincinnati that's 9-0? and Is it fair to, you know, Texas A&M that has one loss to a – you know, to a uh, you know Alabama team that's the number one team in the country, probably not. I think that's a lot of the concern is you know how is it fair that they got in? Uh, they were conference champions and they, they they did look impressive in some of their wins, but outside of of Northwestern, Indiana was their, their best win, and they really didn't play a tough schedule. And and you know the Big Ten was down I think a lot this year. So um, I think this this group and what the committee went through this year, I think really showcased how there's definitely some deficiencies in the process and the fact that maybe it's time to really start thinking about expanding the playoffs. I mean, four doesn't seem to be the right way now. And I think at some point we've got to either get it to six or eight. Now the current contract doesn't go in until six more years. So it's going to have to take everyone stepping up to the plate to do this. And if the SEC and, and the Big Ten and the ACC aren't willing to do that, then I don't think it's going to happen until the contract ends. You know, I think there's two things. Number one, I don't think it will happen until the contract ends. And number two, uh, I think teams getting left out, because when you get branded that you are left out, it's such a scarlet letter. So I get why there's this discussion of, you know, what's fair, what's appropriate and all that. But if you go to what's competitive, I feel like no matter who they put in at number four, there's a pretty good chance Alabama runs them off the field. They've already destroyed A&M. Notre Dame. Did be Clemson at home, but obviously Clemson was missing their quarterback. And they get Lawrence back, and they run Notre Dame off the field. Notre Dame's been run off the field a half dozen times over 20 years. I kind of think I'm going to see that one more time. And I think Cincinnati should be getting a shot and that they should be in. And at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama ran them off the field either. So to identify the national champion, four is enough. But when you identify four playoff teams, teams are feeling slighted, even if they just got in, got beat, and were out right away. I think they prefer that as opposed to being dismissed and not even getting on the field. 
Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a good point. I think the one thing that, that's also been brought up, and I think it's, it's, a, it's a true thing, is the fact that I think you're starting to lose the fan base. I think that a lot of people, especially the last couple of years, are, are tired of seeing the same four teams playing in, you know, in, in the, uh, the playoffs. You know, you think, I think there have been 11 teams in the last 28 you know, uh, you know, semifinal games, and, and you know, the same 11 teams. And it's, 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 after a while, it starts to wear on fans that you're seeing the Alabamas and, and the Clemsons and Ohio State. Now, I, I get it. They're the best programs in the country, and they deserve to be where they're at. Um, but at some point, I think the reason that NCAA basketball, March Madness, is so appealing to people is because of the fact you get these different storylines. You get different teams. Maybe a team can make a run and all of a sudden find its way into, into the title game. Um, those are the things that appeal to the sports fan. And I think with college football, which has done a great job over the last decade or so to really increase its brand, you know, and, and, and get its fan base going, um, if you start to push some of those fans away because they feel like, well, there's no way you know, our team's going to be in it, and it's not as exciting to watch you know, a, a lower bowl game um, than it is a semifinal, I, I think then that's, that's got to be a concern. I mean, it's been addressed in the past. I know Alabama's uh, Nick Saban talked about his concern with the playoff would start to, you know, really pushing down the bowl games themselves. But I think it's true. Look at how much discussion we're, we're talking about on, on the semifinals. We've talked very little about, as a whole, as a country, about some of the other games, the New Year's Six games and, and some of the other bowl games. So um, it's, it's definitely got to be a concern. It's something that the, I'm sure the committee and, and the college, you know, college football higher-ups have to start thinking about and wondering what's going to happen. Well, Matt, we appreciate the time. Thanks for spending a few minutes talking to us. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Take care and have a happy holiday. All right, you too. Matt Marcel joining us, National College Football Writer for the Orlando Sentinel. Sniggy. Covers UCF as well.